Welcome to It's Your Community with Vanessa Denha, a public service of News Talk 760 WJR. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's Your Community. I'm Vanessa Denha Garmo here. Hagera Health is a leader in suicide prevention services and has recently launched two initiatives. Melissa Tulskaka, Tulskaka is from Hagera Health Clinical Director. She's here with us today to speak about the suicide prevention services Hagera Health offers to the community. She's here to share her expertise as a community leader in the mental health industry. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us here on It's Your Community. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. I appreciate it. So first, tell our listeners, Melissa, what is Hagera Health? Give us some background. Sure. So Hagera Health uh, is a, actually, we're a newly certified community behavioral health clinic. So also known as a CCBHC. Um, and really, a certified community behavioral health clinic is um, a unique status that allows us the opportunity to provide um, kind of integrated behavioral health services to individuals in our community, infants through older adults, and a wide range of services um, for mental health, substance use disorder, and primary care. Um, Having the CCBHC status also really opens the doors for individuals who might not have been able to have received services in the past. So people who are underinsured or uninsured can now receive services from one of our 30 programs. Um, Very exciting. That's kind of a new, the CCBHC is new. We received that through uh, funding federal grant in the spring. So, Mm. um, but we've been a community behavioral health provider since the early 70s. So who will this um, benefit, this new uh, status for you? Well, what's great about CCBHC is that, again, we're really looking at access and opening the doors for individuals who might not have been able to have received services. So for example, we may have somebody who comes into one of our outpatient um, services for and, and is receiving outpatient therapy. And mm. um, it really is determined that they need a higher level of care. So in the past, we haven't been able to refer to those higher levels of care because of insurance um, okay. issues. Um, but now we can refer. So somebody might be able to receive a community-based service, for example. This is really effective for children as well. We have a lot of specialty programs that um, kids who are underinsured or uninsured might not have been able to have received and now can. Um, that's so exciting. And I know that you know it really is something that we're going to see, I think, more frequent, frequently throughout our state anyway, as um, as it continues to grow. So, Melissa, since the pandemic started and uh, the country's gone on lockdowns and kids have been home doing school virtually, there has been several reports that depression, anxiety and suicide is on the rise. What can you talk um, to our listeners here in Itcher community about that issue going on? Sure. So, you know, I guess I want to put it into context. There's a lot of information that's being kind of tossed out or thrown out there. Um, And we know that depression, anxiety, suicide, those are all, you know, complex issues that people are facing. Um, When we went on lockdown in March, what we saw was that there seemed to be kind of a change in the amount of people who were coming in for crisis services. People were isolated and they weren't going and receiving the services that they need. The same kind of applied to children. And I think back in March when kids um, first 
uh, started to stay home from school, they stopped really coming to treatment or they weren't as invested or whatnot, right? So kind of looked at it as a mini vacation in a way. Um, but what we saw was that our adult services kind of flourished. We had a lot of individuals who were coming in for treatment um, through our remote services that perhaps um, weren't consistent with the treatment before because of transportation issues or, you know, other factors that prohibited them from coming in consistently. So, you know, I think that it's just COVID-19 really kind of the, the issues with depression and anxiety and suicide were there before COVID-19. I think COVID-19 kind of helped bring a lot to the, to the surface that had maybe always been there. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, we just want to be careful with how we're conveying it. Something that I heard early on was there were more suicide deaths than COVID-19 deaths. Um, and, you know, those are, those are false statements. And then even, even research that I read now, um, very antidotal, right? So we don't have statistics. We don't have those numbers. Um, so what you see is um, kind of like people writing articles that say some people are impacted by it or some people um, are having an increase in depression. Um, so we just need to be careful and mindful of how we're communicating that for sure. Okay. You know, great point, Melissa, but there is, there, there's gotta be some kind of concern and alarm when people are isolated and on lockdown that would exasperate anybody with already existing depression or anxiety. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And, and we do see that for sure. Um, what we, what we want to just, you know, think about is, how we can get out and help individuals, what kind of information we can provide, what education can we give the community. Um, having you know, access um, to services is really important and to kind of reduce that fear that if you're in crisis, you do need to come in and get help. And, and we, we do remote services, but we also can see people face-to-face -face if, you know, if it is required. I mean, our 24-hour locations are open our crisis services are all open, you know, seeing people face to face. So, um, you know, but I, I don't know that people know that necessarily, especially early on. I think mm. that there was such a, a change in everything that um, we didn't really have, um, you know, a good sense of, of what to expect um, early on in March anyway. So, um, but yes, I, I think that we do need to be mindful and again, educate people on what to look for. What are the risk signs? What are the warning signs? Um, what are the changes that you might see? And then of course, not just that, but what needs to happen next? Yeah, exactly. So Melissa, in terms of what's happening next, tell us about the two initiatives you guys are launching. Sure. So I, I guess to give it context, about three years ago, um, we really kind of started focusing on suicide prevention, um, uh, just um, really made more of a commitment to it. Um, we implemented the zero suicide model. And the zero suicide model is the belief that suicide deaths for individuals under the care of behavioral health is preventable. So I've been in um, the business for 21 years now, and I've lost two loved ones to suicide. Mm. Um, and, you know, for the longest time, that was really what we heard, that um, when somebody dies by way of suicide, kind of that what did you expect mentality. Um, and we wanted to change that culture. We really were committed to doing that. So the zero suicide implementation and the zero suicide model, it's a seven-step model that really focuses on um, how to make uh, that ch culture change that suicide's inevitable to preventable. 
Um, and our focus really was based on our workforce and what they had to say. So we had launched a survey and what we heard back from our 400 plus staff was we need more training. We need more education about suicide prevention. And you might think, well, that's odd. You work in behavioral health. Why would you, you know, you would think, why would you need that training? But there really is no standardization across the board when it comes to suicide prevention. I think it's gotten better over the last several years, but there wasn't historically. And certainly uh, clinicians aren't required to have suicide prevention training, um, which is odd. Again, kind of a head scratcher. Like we require it of teachers, for example, um, but we don't require it of the people that are supposed to be trained to help somebody who may be suicidal. So our focus was on training, and we trained all of our staff in a model called Question, Persuade, Refer, which is a three-step evidence-based practice really designed to help individuals recognize the warning and risk signs of suicide and then ask the question that many people avoid, which is, are you suicidal? Are you thinking about taking your life? That's a very scary question for people. And so we really wanted to make sure that the people that were educating felt comfortable doing that. Um, from there, participants learn ways to persuade individuals to receiving help. And then of course, giving people referrals and how to make you know, that referral into treatment. And then our clinical staff were trained in QPR as well, but then we really focused on safety planning, risk screening and assessment, counseling on access to lethal means, uh, collaborative assessment management of suicidality, which is another evidence-based practice. So we really wanted to make sure that our clinical staff could treat somebody who was in suicidal crisis and not only treat them, but actually feel confident and capable of treating them. So um, that was really kind of a shift for us. Um, and then when we were doing all of our trainings for our staff, our staff you know, replied, this is great, and I feel good, but you should really start training the community because there are a lot of people out there that don't know, have these skills or don't know what to do. And, you know, it really was kind of a light bulb moment because to us, you know, in behavioral health, we know we can't do this alone. We need community partners. We need to educate people in the community on, on how to reach out to those services and what we need to do uh, to get people help. So, so we started to launch uh, our community education um, really with QPR, and we've trained over 600 people so far in the community. That includes police, fire, so first responders. Uh, right now, we're training the Wayne Westland School District staff, which is really mm. exciting. We trained uh, Madonna University staff, uh, Northville High School staff is next month. So really getting the word out. Um, and then I just recently became a QPR master trainer. So now we're going to be able to train the trainer um, oh. and have community members to become trainers. Yeah, it's really exciting. Um, and it really is amazing how this took off. So this is really obviously a need. Um, but the, you know, what we're hearing back is I, you know, I wouldn't have known how to do this or this wouldn't have made me feel comfortable. Um, and now I feel better about doing it. So um, really exciting. Um, and then this past summer, we received a grant, uh, the Emergency Response for Suicide Prevention COVID-19 grant. And that's mm -hmm. through the Substance Abuse Mental Health Service Administration, another federal grant. Um, and we, uh, our program is called Pathways for Suicide Prevention. And it was focused on three areas, um, the clinical, the training element, and then we have an outreach element as well. And we're really excited about this program. Um, it really focuses on addressing gaps in service delivery. That's kind of the clinical aspect. So 
We uh, really work with uh, higher levels of care. So it could be inpatient, it could be residential substance use disorder treatment, um, and making sure that an individual who may be suicidal or had an attempt um, is having that engagement before they leave that level of care. And then we're following them out into outpatient services. So, you know, there's a 300 times greater risk after an inpatient stay in a hospital. And that only diminishes to about 200 times greater by 30 days. So if, you know, an individual doesn't show up for their outpatient appointment, um, you know, that's, that's a sign that maybe something's going on and that we need to do more. So our team um, will go out and meet the individual where they're at. We start uh, our evidence-based practices right away. So safety planning, um, counseling on access to lethal means, um, collaborative assessment, management of suicidality. And our focus is really on the drivers of suicide. So we're looking at what is causing those feelings and ensure that needs are being met, you know, as someone engages in the outpatient treatment. Part of the grant too focuses on domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, we really wanted to focus on making sure that our staff were trained um, in, D in domestic violence. Uh, so we partnered with First Step, which is a domestic violence organization in Wayne County. Uh, they have provided us with some excellent training on domestic violence and sexual assault. Um, and we also in incorporated a domestic violence assessment into our process now. So it just really, it, it, you know, we know that 94% of women who are raped experience systems of, or, you know, symptoms of post-traumatic stress, and then 33% of women who are raped contemplate suicide. So, you know, there's a lot of trauma involved. Um, and so we want to make sure that we are, you know, educating our staff in that process. So that's, that's sort of the clinical piece. And then, um, we're doing a lot of educational trainings, um, our QPR training, obviously, as I mentioned, our, our train the trainer. Um, but we also have some campaigns that are, are going on right now. One is hashtag Dear Survivor, uh, which allows lost survivors to send recorded messages to us. And then we create a visual using that individual's voice and words about how loss impacted them and how to look for hope, what, what other people might be able to do uh, when faced with that loss. Um, so it was, it's very profound. Um, and the individuals, you know, you can, you can feel their, their grief of their loss, but also that there is hope for individuals who are, you know, survivors. Um, and then we also have a, um, uh, pathways for suicide prevention wellness talk. And that's starting in February, February 9th is our first kind of, it's an educational series. And our first topic is suicide and domestic violence. So each month we're going to be offering uh, a free talk. Um, it's going to be on Facebook Live. Uh, and we're really, really excited about that. And then the third component is our outreach. And that is just the more people we reach, the more lives we can save. So we are reaching out everywhere, pretty much in the state, um, letting people know of the service, uh, our clinical services, our training campaigns, everything. Um, so, you know, getting the word out uh, about what we're doing um, can really, it really can save lives. And we're really hopeful about that. Um, along with that, we are going to be having a conference in October um, that will be uh, really focused on suicide prevention and domestic violence. Um, and then we'll be providing QPR trainings as well. So people can become QPR gatekeepers in the process. So that is really, uh, you know, the, the bulk of our programming. 
Wow, you have a lot going on, Melissa Tulskada, <laughs> is who we're talking to this morning from Hagera Health. There's so much you've got going on. And I want to just ask a few questions regarding the, uh, the many things that you just addressed. In terms of the training, uh, train the trainer and then training people, can you, uh, ex- like Wayne Westland Schools, can you explain to us what that training entails? Sure. So the QPR gatekeeper training is about a 60 to 90 minute training and it's free to the community now because we, um, that was part of our CCBHC grant as well is, is um, making sure that we, we train the community in it. Um, and it really, again, focuses on kind of the risks and warning signs of suicide, what to look for, and then kind of does a deep dive in how to ask somebody if they're suicidal or on su- in suicidal crisis. Um, what to look for. So, you know, there are direct clues, verbal direct clues. So people might say, I'm suicidal or I I don't want to live anymore. Um, But then there are those indirect clues. And so we kind of focus on those indirect verbal clues and um, kind of making sure that we know how to ask people more about that. So somebody might say, I'm not going to be around for much longer or don't worry about me. It's not going to matter soon. And, you know, Sometimes I think when we, there are those indirect clues, people tend to shy away from those because they don't want to ask the question. It's not really in their face and like, oh, they probably don't mean it. Um, so really kind of training individuals on how to, you know, kind of work through that and work through um, the feelings of insecurity about asking the question. Um, and then kind of what to do if somebody does say they're suicidal. Uh, with a heavy focus on empathy, right? Because I know growing up back in my day, (laughs) it was kind of like, oh, you'll be fine, get over it. Um, And we're really not wanting to talk like that anymore. We want to really focus on empathy and being with the person in the moment and providing them the time that they need and making sure that we're checking in with them after. I think oftentimes, you know, when there is a, a physical health condition that someone has, let's say someone has a heart attack and they're in the hospital, you know, everybody kind of bends over backwards for that person. You know, I'll cut the grass for you. I'll, I'll go grocery shopping. I'll take care of your kids. Um, but when there's a mental health crisis, not so much. Um, people tend to shy away from it. And so we're really focusing on um, that caring connection and making sure that people feel comfortable and reaching back out after there's a crisis. So that's the first training, the QPR gatekeeper. The train the trainer is for individuals who want to train others in question, persuade, refer. Um, That is uh, an eight hour long training. So it's more intense um, and really focuses on uh, suicide prevention education, kind of going over those um, statistics, the facts, the figures surrounding suicide, um, and then does a deep dive into how to do that QPR training. Um, And of course, both of those trainings, the QPR gatekeeper and QPR train the trainer, there's role, role playing exercises. There's a lot of conversation and discussion um, throughout and, and how people feel about it. So um, those are the differences between the two. How important is it for, you know, you're talking about training Wayne Westland schools and, and police and, and fire and other units. How is important is it for us to identify some signs and what are some of those? So it's very important to recognize or understand what the risk signs are, what the warning signs are. Um, And so some of the risk signs that, uh, you know, we talk about in our trainings um, may be exposure to bullying behavior, for example. And that could be adults or children, by the way. I mean, if you know, we know that when when COVID-19 hit and um, it wasn't just COVID, there were all sorts of things going on. Right. So the political climate was negatively charged and 
Um, there were peaceful protests going on about racial injustice. And so if you if you got on social media, you saw that everybody was I mean, there was a lot of negativity. So um, but exposure to bullying behavior is a big one. Physical disability, chronic illness, physical pain. Um, you know, we need to make sure that we're connecting the physical body to the, you know, to mental health. Um, they are connected. Uh, previous attempts could be a risk sign, mental health condition or history of substance use disorder um, and a death of a close family or friend to suicide. But we have to keep in mind that suicide is very complex. And so there yeah. are other issues that could also be impacting that. You know, as we kind of think about COVID, um, you know, unemployment, housing, uh, racial injustice, as I said. I mean, there are a lot of things that we need to look at and consider. Um, there's usually not one um, one area that causes someone to take their own life. I mean, it's, it's very complex. And then to know those warning signs. So those could be um, changes in sleep and eating patterns, irrational explosive behavior, talking about dying. Um, again, as I mentioned, those verbal clues uh, could be direct or indirect verbal clues giving away prized possessions. So anything that would make someone kind of take pause, like why would they say that? Or why would they give that away? Really requires maybe more discussion. And those are just some of the warning signs. And then there are, you know, those, those warning <coughs> signs that are, are right in your face, which are, I'm talking about death and I am um, using a substance and I'm looking for a way to die or, you know, major risk, you know, taking risks all of a sudden that they weren't taking. So those are some of the warning signs. So knowing how to communicate to someone who's having those is really imperative. Yes. Yeah, so what, what, and I think that's why the training is so important, but can you give us any ideas like people listening this morning here in Itcher community, uh, Melissa Tulska, Tulstica, um, what are some of the things we should do? If we hear, know somebody in our life that may be having some of these warning signs, what's the first thing we should do? Well, you know, the first thing is to kind of really assess that situation. So if if there are some warning signs, we want to sit down and, and again, that empathy is really important. Be in the moment with the individual. And that's why the QPR training is really important because yeah. it really walks you through how to ask the question and how to ask the question in a way that won't shut someone down. Um, and again, you know, being as old as I am, again, I go back to back in my day and, and, you know, we didn't talk about suicide, yeah. not talk about it, even though we had a family member who, who died by way of suicide. Um, and then another one, uh, several years later, um, you just, you didn't talk about it. So yeah. the training helps you to be able to ask the question and you can ask it in different ways. You don't have to come right out and say, are you going to kill yourself? I mean, I would say that if somebody had major warning signs and yes, you might want to do that, but in other instances, you can ask in a way that, you know, sometimes um, people who are feeling the way you do, you know, consider that they might not want, you know, want to go to sleep and not wake up. Do you feel that way? You know, to kind of gauge where the person's at. And sometimes the person will look at you like, no, I'm not thinking about that at all. Like, don't, you know, but other in other instances, Talking about suicide really helps to decrease the anxiety around it for the person who's experiencing those thoughts. And I think it's a myth, um, you know, that if you talk about it, it's going to put the idea in their mind. Um, it absolutely will not. And so we want to make sure that we are having that conversation. And, and that's what QPR does. Yeah. You know, we know, Melissa, in some cultures and ethnicities and families, it's truly taboo to yes. talk about 
uh, depression, anxiety, and suicide. It's like a big no-no. So it makes it even more of a struggle for those people in those situations. Um, How do we find out more about Hagera Health and and the work that you're doing with suicide prevention and people that want to reach out to you and maybe uh, get help from you or collaborate with you? What do they need to do? Well, you can start by going to our website, www.hagerahealth.org. That has all of our programs and services listed on it. And there is a suicide prevention tab. So, um, you know, people can go there and take a look at what we're doing, um, you know, how to contact uh, me specifically related to the trainings. Um, And of course, we update that regarding our campaigns, our wellness talks, um, all that information's up online. Um, And then if somebody needs services specifically, they can call our pre-admission office um, and that number's 734-793-5026. We also have our community outreach for psychiatric emergencies, that's COPE, um, and our PSP program as well. And those numbers are listed on our website, and I can also provide those to you as well. Um, if somebody is in crisis, there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. That's 1-800-273-8255. Um, what we found is a lot of individuals like the text 741741. So um, the text, kind of the crisis text line, um, is just an excellent way to, to reach out. Um, even if you're not in suicidal crisis, you can text 741741. I mean, there's a lot going on with COVID and isolation and loneliness, and um, that would be a good way to obtain resources as well. Well, is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? You know, really that suicide is preventable. I I think it's important just to get that point across and that there are services available for individuals. Um, You know, it is a a very difficult time right now, but, you know, there are people that want to help and that are available immediately to do that. Mm -hmm. And one last thing I want to ask you, because I like to ask our guests all the time, we're very much about communicating, collaborating uh, and connecting with various people in the community and and different groups. And what would you say to that in terms of the importance of how you communicate, collaborate and connect with others as as uh, part of Hagera? Um, Well, we find collaboration, especially now to be extremely important. Um, We have, as I said, you know, we're working with the schools police and fire. We have first responders programs um, happening right now. Um, You know, we have substance abuse services as well. And we know that there are major issues going on right now, especially with the opioid epidemic and uh, increase there. So, um, you know, it really is, it's a matter of connection and, um, you know, just doing the reach out. We can't, we can't be siloed anymore. Absolutely not. And so the more people that we can reach and work together, the better off we'll all be. Great. And Melissa, one more time, give out your information before we let you go. Sure. Our website's www.hagerahealth.org. Um, and our pre-admission number for services is 734-793-5026. Melissa Tolstika from Hagera Health, thank you so much for joining us here on It's Your Community. Oh, thank you so much. Any questions or comments, show topics you might want me to get to, Vanessa Denha, you do that very easily by emailing me at info at epiphanyccc.com, info at epiphanyccc.com. You can also find me on LinkedIn and private message me there. As always, remind our listeners to connect, to collaborate, and to communicate with your community. Thanks for listening. It's your community, a public affairs presentation of News Talk 760 WJR.